Well, hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Living with Power Hope podcast. I'm Lena Ebajemra, your host, and it is awesome to be back with you. It is fall, a new season. I love new beginnings, and it does feel like right after Labor Day, we are on to a new start. Man, we got a busy, busy fall here at Living with Power, and there's been both good things and challenging things, but in all things, we want to give glory to God. Hey, if you're new to our podcast, thank you for checking in. We hope this will help build your walk with Jesus, get to know Jesus if you don't know him. And if you have been here before and have been waiting for a new series, I don't think you're going to be disappointed. I pray that this series is going to bless you. Hey, before we hit it, I'm going to just remind you of a couple of things. If you want to find out about our ministry, check out livingwithpower.org. Everything you need to know about Living With Power is there. We do work globally with refugees and we do work locally with discipleship and building people like you and me to be stronger in our walk with Jesus and more connected with him. Hey, there's an awesome, awesome thing you need to know. My new book is coming out in four weeks. It is so cool to see that uh, in the horizon, but it's also nerve wracking. Will anyone be interested in it? What I have to say, will anybody buy it? Will anybody be blessed by it? Will anybody like me? And there's just a lot of things that go through an author's mind, but really at the end of the day, we write because we believe that our experiences and my experiences will help you. And so if you've ever struggled with uh, doing things you don't wanna do, with shame over things that you wish you hadn't done, I think this book is gonna be for you. It's called Don't Tell Anyone You're Reading This, uh, a Christian Doctor's Thoughts on Sex, Shame, and Other Troublesome Issues. Hey, this book is not about sex. It is about human nature. It's about following desires and wanting something badly. And when you don't get it, how do you respond to it? And why so many of us live lives of addiction. And so, hey, if you know someone who's struggling with these things, or maybe you are that person who, like me, has had a hard time with certain uh, areas in our lives. And so this book may be for you. We'd love for you to find out more about it. We created a website for it. It's at drlinabook.com or just hit up livingwithpower.org, which is our website, and you'll find links to it. If you haven't subscribed to this podcast, do so. And for now, let's get right to business. All right, guys, welcome, welcome, welcome. So we are in teaching number three of a 10-week series that I've called the Confidence Series how to fully trust God when I don't see the way. We're going through the book of Hebrews and we're about a chapter a week, except today we're chapter three and into chapter four. I think we're covering half of chapter four. So I know I told you guys to read chapter three, just in terms of just a little bit of a a, uh, um, review, I guess, not to spend too much time on it, but sort of to see where we're going and where we're gonna be headed. And every week we're looking at why we can be confident in God. The entire book of Hebrews, the entire message is to show the supremacy, the superiority of Christ. It was written to a Jewish audience made up of some believing, some less believing, some maybe non-believing yet Jewish. Jewish people who were still stuck to their old traditions. They were having a hard time completely letting go of those traditions because they were familiar, because they were culturally acceptable. And so here Jesus had showed them a new way. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews, who we don't know who it is, is writing to show them how Jesus is better than anything, better than the angels, better than Moses. Today we're going to look at better than the high priest. And we're going to make our way through this. So while the Old Testament is valuable and great, The Old Testament served to show that Jesus was coming. It served to point to Jesus. The entire Old Testament really talks about Jesus. If you study it, you see that in every book of the Bible. And so now we hit Hebrews and it it relies on what is taught in the Old Testament and it brings it to fruition and to understanding in Christ Jesus. I think you guys have been able to see that. And because Jesus is better, by the way, and by the way, 
Although you might say, well, I'm not Jewish. How does that apply to me? Well, we're, we're living in a culture that pushes us to hang on to the traditions of the world. We're living in a culture where we stick out. By the way, the Jewish people who had given their life to Christ were being persecuted for their faith. We're living in a time where we might be persecuted for the things we believe. And so this book, again, though we may not be a Jewish audience, is a reminder to us to continue to pursue Jesus with all of our hearts. Uh, I love this. The, it, Hebrews is a call to passionate, persevering pursuit of God. I, I like that so much because that is the aim of the Christian life. It is not to, to serve God. Serving God is a fruit of the Christian life, but the Christian life is a passionate pursuit of Jesus because he is better. And because he is better, we can be confident. So that's why I called it the Confidence Series. This is an incredibly practical book. And so this week, we're going to be in chapter 3 and 4 until verse 11. And I call today, I am confident because he is faithful. God is faithful. We see the faithfulness of God through Jesus Christ uh, in all of this stuff we're going to read today. I'm going to highlight sort of four big ideas of because God is faithful, how that should impact us. And so uh, so in chapter one and two, the focus was on how Jesus is better than the angels. Remember, we're, we're again leaning on what the Jewish people believed and they worshiped angels. They thought the angels were it. And now here's the writer saying, Jesus is better than the angels. And now in this chapter, Moses was like the untouchable prophet. Like if there was a prophet that was great in the eyes of the Jewish people, it was Moses. Like he was like, he's, he, you know, Old Testament, he had such a close encounter with God that his face shone and people couldn't look at him in the eye. So now the writer is saying Jesus is actually better than Moses and he's making his argument why. And so we can be confident in this Jesus because he's faithful. So let me read for you some of chapter three and we'll ease into sort of the four points that I want to make today, hoping that this will encourage us to be confident because of the faithfulness of Jesus. So it says in verse one of chapter three, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. Now, remember for week one, I told you guys how this book is written to three groups of Jewish people. The ones who had committed their life to Christ, they were all in, but they needed encouragement. That's probably the bigger, bigger portion of the people he was writing to. But then there was another one that were like intellectually agreed, but they weren't all in. They were like one foot in, one foot out. And then there were others who were not yet intellectually convinced of who Jesus was. In this verse, he's writing to that first section of people, which were those who were all in, he calls them holy brothers, first of all, not just brothers. And he says, you who share in a heavenly calling. So if you are a follower of Jesus today, you share a heavenly calling with those people that are being mentioned here. This is for us. So he says, therefore, holy brethren, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Okay. Again, we've talked about underlying and circling things in your Bible. Why? Not so it looks pretty, but so your eyes pop to it. You want to underline two words. That is the essence of the book of Hebrews. Circle, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Think carefully about this Jesus. Challenge to you. How many minutes of today have you literally considered Jesus? It takes an intentional effort to consider Jesus. But if he is the object of our faith, and if he is superior to anything and anyone on this planet, and you've given your life to him, are you considering Jesus? That's what the book of Hebrews is for. So consider Jesus. And now he, he says, who is he? The apostle and high priest of our confession. An apostle is one who is sent by God. A high priest, of course, we're going to lean into that in the coming weeks when we uh, delve into how Jesus is greater than the high priest. Remember, the first high priest was Aaron. And, and the high priest was the one who went into the Holy of Holies and made uh, was the only one who could make a sacrifice annually before God for the forgiveness of sin. And now, now we're being presented this idea that Jesus is greater than the high priest. I mean, this is dramatic for pe people who are from Jewish background. But he goes on to say, 
uh, the apostle and, and, pre, and high priest of our confession who was faithful, remember because he's faithful, who was faithful to him who appointed him, who's that? The father. And just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. So you say, now Jesus is greater than Moses. How? Moses was faithful. Jesus was faithful. But Jesus is more faithful. How? For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house, it says, is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. So Moses was talking about the coming of Christ. Moses was pointing to Christ. And, and that's a whole nother, you know, you can study the life of Moses and see as an example. Remember when the people sinned and they had to look at the, they, he put a pole up with the serpent and people could only be saved if they looked up to the serpent. And later when we talk about the cross of Jesus Christ, it talks about how um, when he is lifted up, that, that he would bring all men to himself and that same wording is used. And so all through the life of Moses and the ministry of Moses, there's a pointing, a prophetic pointing to Christ. It wasn't that Moses was saving people. He was pointing to Christ when he struck the rock. He was supposed to speak to the rock, not to strike the rock. The rock was the one, you know, who opened up and let out the water. And so all of the symbolism of the Old Testament pointing to Jesus Christ. So now he's saying in verse five, now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Now, he already painted that picture in chapter one and two, that Jesus is the son. And now he says, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. I underlined that last bit. We hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. I'm gonna come back to it in a minute. Hang on to that, okay? Now he moves on. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Now, now he's bringing in Moses. He's telling the people, Jesus is greater than Moses. Now he's going to give an example, uh, a bad example from the Old Testament that the Jewish people were very familiar with of how the people of Israel did not heed Moses and did not obey God and how that served them with consequences that were painful, but not just painful, but deathly. And so that's what we're going to read about now. Now he's relying on this Old Testament example. By the way, the Old Testament stories, if you want to read them there later, come from Numbers chapter 14, 28 through 32. This is in the story of when, when they were going to, into the, uh, the, people, the, the 12 spies were going into the, um, uh, the land where they were, God had promised that the land was already theirs, the promised land. And 10 of the 12 came back and said, man, we are nothing but grasshoppers. There's no way we can win this. They did not believe God, though God had done so many things to prove himself to them by that point. But 10 of them came back and they, they dispersed like this negative, you know, wording and, 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 and they just brought down the people. All the people were like, yeah, we don't believe it either. They were murmuring and complaining in the tent. Only two people, Joshua and Caleb, stood strong in faith, giving testimony to God saying, look, we don't know how it's going to get done, but the same God who brought us, the same God who was faithful to bring us to this point can get us across the enemy line because he's promised he who promised is faithful who will also do it. And so two believed, 
10 did not. And now I'm going to read in Hebrews chapter 3 exactly how we're hearing about them. He says, and, and incidentally, this word today, if you hear his voice, this emphasis on today, five times mentioned in the next few verses, an emphasis, anytime you see in the word of God, a word that's repeated over and over again, pay attention. So he says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. These few verses, by the way, are quoted from Psalm 95. We see this a lot in the book of Hebrews where he's quoting from the Old Testament because this is a language that was familiar to the Jewish people to make his case that Jesus is better. And this is all he's pointing now. We're, we're making our way through this example to show how Jesus is better and is worthy and is the is the, the one who brought in the new covenant, which is better than the old covenant. And the old covenant, we're going to say, it says in verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day. We're going to come back to that in a minute. As long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by what? By the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. I'm going to keep reading through the end of chapter 3. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? Think about that. They left Egypt, they saw the plagues, they saw God open the Red Seas, they saw Pharaoh defeated and the Egyptian army defeated, they saw God's faithfulness and yet they got to the wilderness and they could not trust that God would get them through. And so he says, for who are those who heard and yet rebelled in verse 16? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? They never made it to the promised land. You go, why? Verse 18, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter, to enter the rest, to enter the promised land because of unbelief. The sin of the people in the Old Testament was that they did not believe God. They never got to the promised land. Those spies, that generation never saw the promised land. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because they could not see the faithfulness of God through this, this Old Testament story. And so let me kind of frame this in a bit with some application points here before we move into, into chapter four. The premise here is that Jesus is greater than Moses and we can be confident because Jesus is so much more faithful to God even than Moses was. And Moses was faithful to the end, by the way. He had a couple of things where he disobeyed God, didn't get to see the promised land. But by the way, what was a physical promised land in the Old Testament was really just a pointing towards the future of a spiritual rest that could only be acquired in Christ. We're gonna talk about that rest in a minute in chapter four. But now, write this down for point number one. Uh, what does it mean that God is faithful? How does that impact us? Number one, because he is more faithful than Moses, I must refuse unbelief. Back in the days of Moses, despite all of Moses' faithfulness to God, the people of Israel saw the faithfulness of God, and despite that, they chose not to believe. Now, there's a case where Jesus is more faithful than Moses. So because of that, because he's the son, because he's, you know, we again, you tie in back chapter 1 and 2, where we're talking about who Christ is in chapter 1. We talked about he is the, the image of the glory of God, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, all that he is, greater than the angels now, greater than Moses. Because he is more faithful, we must refuse unbelief. Unbelief, you go, what is unbelief? How, am I struggling with unbelief today? Let's, let's talk a little bit about unbelief. 
Unbelief refuses to trust God's goodness despite all God has already done for us. Think about that in your life. Now, be careful. All of us go through unbelief. You might be like, I had a horrible day. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. No, no. On the contrary, the invitation, we'll get to it in a minute, is today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. So there's a time where we must look inside and say, okay, am I struggling with unbelief? I confess to you guys. I wrote the book, Fractured Faith. For years, I struggled with trusting the goodness of God. There was a point where that had to stop. God is good. Christ is faithful because he is faithful. How? Because he's the apostle and high priest of our calling. We're going to see as we get into the book of Hebrews, how we've already seen how he became perfect through suffering, how he, um, in, in chapter, end of chapter two, how he overcame death and, and, and through the resurrection, he, um, of course, understands us and, and, and he overcame temptation and he became the propitiation for our sins. We've seen his faithfulness. You and I have seen the faithfulness of God. If you haven't believed yet, by the way, this is also an invitation to you. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Those who have not put their faith in God, look at all Christ has done and all God has done for us through Christ and refuse to believe. Unbelief refuses to see the goodness of God. They look at the cross, they don't see the goodness of God. They make up some story about, about how the Jewish people you know, did this or how he deserved it, or whatever theories that they come up with. But, but belief looks at the, good, at the cross and says, I see the goodness of God because Jesus is greater than Moses. So unbelief, whether you're a new Christian or an old Christian, we all struggle with unbelief, refuses to trust God's goodness despite all God has already done. We have seen the plagues. You might have not lived in Egypt and seen the actual plagues, but you understand what I'm trying to say. We have seen God move mountains for us. Sit down in your, in your little office or a little closet and start writing down the way that God has already showed himself in your life. And refuse unbelief. Unbelief not just refuses to trust God's goodness, but unbelief continues to demand that God prove his faithfulness to us, to his people. Do you, you ever catch yourself? God, God, if you just show me this one last time, God, I, I know you're good, but, but I'm not quite sure. And if you would just answer this, then I'll believe you. We all do that. That's unbelief. The people of Israel, that was their problem. Every time they hit a place where the water was lacking or the food was short on supply, they would go to Moses and moan and groan and say, I can't believe this is happening again. This is so awful. Where's God when we need him? He was there a page ago in the chapter we just finished, right? I mean, you see this pattern where God is showing himself good. And, 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 and we see the gospels and we see Jesus miracle after miracle after miracle. And yet, get to the cross and... No one is standing by him. And, and, and to this day, again, there's a, there's a demanding that God prove himself as faithful, faithfulness to us. God has proved his faithful to us in the person of Jesus Christ, in sending him to the cross, in becoming our faithful high priest. So again, we're going to follow this, this through the rest of the book of Hebrews in the weeks to come. This is good news for us. We must defeat unbelief because of the faithfulness of Christ. Here's another thing about unbelief. It puts off for tomorrow what should be done today. Unbelief puts off to tomorrow what should be done today. When we postpone obedience, delayed obedience is disobedience. That's my sister's favorite sentence. You ask Sam how many times he's heard it. Ask Micah and Ben, who are now 21 and 19, how many times they've heard that. A lot. Now, again, she doesn't say it to be hard with them, but it's true, isn't it? If you remember the parable that Jesus said about the two sons and um, the father told them to go do something and the first one said he was going to go do it and didn't and the second one said he wasn't and then did it, which one was more faithful? The one who did the job. 
And so unbelief puts off to tomorrow when, what should be done today, which is why five times in chapter three, he says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. The more you say no to God, the harder the heart. What we want are soft, malleable hearts, like the, like the potter in Jeremiah chapter, I think 14 or so, it talks about <clears throat> the potter molding the clay and, and then softening it and, and molding it again, sometimes ruining it, but then never really an utter ruin, always reshaping it to match the likeness of Christ. How do you form a soft heart? Well, by saying yes to God. So unbelief refuses to do to say yes to God today. He says, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow. The more you put off obedience, you say, man, it's not a big sin, I'll just do it tomorrow. Today, if you hear his voice, because he is more faithful, I must refuse unbelief. Here's a couple more thoughts about unbelief. Unbelief keeps us from the rest that our hearts desperately long for. I think the most... Uh, convicting and, and powerful verse to me in chapter three is the last verse. So we see that they were unable to enter his rest because of unbelief. How many of us are running around overwhelmed and exhausted and ragged because of unbelief. I'm gonna talk more about this place of rest in a moment, but let's just start to think about that. And then lastly, unbelief has serious consequences that cannot be ignored. Serious consequences. What were the consequences for the people of Israel? They didn't see the promised land. They died in the wilderness. If you're consistently saying no to God, you got to ask yourself, is there spiritual life in you? That brings me to the second big point. So first was, because he is more faithful than Moses, I must refuse unbelief. Here's a second point of application. Because he is faithful, because Jesus is faithful, I must persevere in hope. We're talking about those consequences. You might say, well, how, you know, like, like, okay, I, I have occasions of unbelief. Does that mean I'm not going to see the promised land? Well, hang on. The whole thing, you know, we're not perfect. We're not Jesus. We're on our way to becoming perfect. Jesus says, be per, or, or the uh, word of God in the gospel says, be perfect as, as Jesus is perfect. And, and that, that call to perfection, you go, well, we're not, how? Well, in Christ, he's forming himself in us. We might not reach that point until heaven. I'm so far from it. I'm very aware of it. But every time you say yes to God, you're a step closer. And here's the thing, because Jesus is faithful, you can, not you must, but you can persevere in hope. Now I want us to go back and focus on some of the wording that I told you to underline. First of all, chapter three, verse six, where it says, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if, there's an if here. How are we his house? If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our bore and our boasting in our God. Later in verse 14, he reiterates the same idea, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. He's not advocating a salvation based on works here, not at all. But what he is saying is that the sign of a true Christian is that we persevere in the faith. You want to know if someone is a Christian, you wait. With time, you'll see the fruit that comes up. This is like the parable of the seed. Remember Jesus told it? The farmer went out and put the seed down and some fell on good ground, some fell on bad ground, some fell on thorny ground and on and on. And every one of them, how did they know the wheat from the shaft? How did they know the fruit that was on good soil? Well, time, time bore fruit. And what he's saying is here, 
with time, if you persevere, that's how you know. Why do we persevere? Well, because Jesus is faithful. He helps us persevere because he is the perfect high priest that we spoke about in chapter two, who, who himself faced every temptation and is able to help us in our temptation. He sympathizes with us. He set the tone. He's faithful. Now we can and must persevere in hope. That's the Christian is someone who perseveres in hope. What kind of hope? Hope in the goodness of God. Hope in the faithfulness of God. Hope in the knowledge that God is true to his word and that everything he's promised us will come true. You say, man, I don't do this perfectly every day. It's okay. Are you doing it increasingly every day? The sign of a true Christian is that we persevere in faith. It's not how you become a Christian. It, although, again, it's, it's, it's nuanced, but we're saved not by works, but by faith alone and Christ alone. Titus chapter three, verse four, when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing, regeneration, and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So we're saved completely because of Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. But we show signs of our faith, how? Over time. This is what James talks about. We did the series here in James a few weeks ago. You can probably hunt down and see the teachings on James. What are we talking about? How like a farmer, like Job's steadfastness, there's a steadfastness. That's how we know that we're in Christ because with time we continue to hold on to our faith. So question for you, are you holding on to hope? Now hope that things will turn around. Hope in Christ who has made you a promise. Hope in God who's given you his son. So, so that's the sign of a true Christian perseverance. The security of the Christian is that Jesus is more faithful than Moses. That's our security. We can rest in knowing that Jesus has paid the price. He's already gone before God the Father. He is the Son of God. He is the image of God. I love that, you know, sort of thought back to chapter one, where we're talking about how he's the heir of all things, that sitting at the right hand of God. He's the, the exact imprint of the nature of God. He upholds the universe by the power of his hand. That faithful Christ, he is our security. And then the strength of the Christian is born out of continuing to consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. You say, man, I, I'm discouraged. I'm tired. You know, at six o'clock tonight, an hour before we start Bible study, I just felt the impact of fatigue of two days of pouring out my story, recorded on video. I enjoyed it, but I didn't realize how fatigued I was. And I sat on the sofa and I'm telling you guys, I, I put on a fire and I just listened. I, I, I listened to some worship songs. And then I looked at the chapter for tonight. I asked a friend of mine to pray. And I thought, consider Jesus. And the song that I listened to was about Jesus. And I wasn't doing anything out of the ordinary. No, I wasn't doing anything that none of us here in this community can do on our own. It infused new energy in me. It, it helped me feel stronger because I found this rest in Christ as I considered who he is. It will happen to you if you're tired, if you're overwhelmed, circumstances. I got an email this morning from someone who's going through some immensely difficult circumstances. Just pray for me. And I remembered my reading from this morning from Isaiah chapter 26. And I sent her a picture of the verse. And she said, I'm reading this entire chapter now because she was so, 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 so driven to those words, which said, you, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. That's what considering Jesus is. It is keeping our minds in peace. Why? Because we're stayed on him. 
our minds, our eyes are stayed on him. How many moments in the day do you stay your mind on Jesus? You go, man, I don't have time to do it. Listen, I am swamped with things to do. And I managed to find 20 minutes. Why? Because I became desperate enough to need it. Sometimes it is that desperation in our life that causes us to stop long enough to say, God, I need you here. And so if you are in that place, don't resent it. Don't disdain it. On the contrary, thank God for it because it is an invitation into the presence of God. So because he is more faithful than Moses, I must refuse unbelief. Because he's faithful, I must persevere in hope. Thirdly, because he is still faithful, he has provided a plan for his people to be faithful too. God gave us a plan. So what was the plan? Well, he gave us Jesus who died for us, who lives in us, who's given us the power. He's, he, he is the perfect example of suffering. He, he makes a propitiation for us. He is the faithful high priest. Like we get that. So first of all, of course, he gave us Jesus. Uh, that is a powerful savior that we're given. But we're also given this past example of the people of Israel. All, you know, the whole point of the Bible is to give us examples of how it worked out and how we can be encouraged. I think Romans says that, that all of those stories of the Old Testament are given as a testimony for us so that we would persevere and be strong. Uh, I love that verse, by the way. I'm trying to flip over there to reference it for you because I think it's a powerful reminder of why we study scripture. In Romans chapter 15, verses 4 through 6-ish. But it talks about how uh, through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. But in chapter 3, we're given something else too. We're told in verse, um, uh, take care brothers, verse 12. Lest there be in you in any, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But, here it is, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. Part of God's plan for us, besides a powerful Savior, besides past examples, is present fellowship. This fellowship, by the way, it is a present, but it's also present, right? It's a gift, but it's also present. It's this gift of exhorting one another. Exhorting one another is, is pushing each other and prompting each other and, and preaching to one another and, 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 and speaking hard words sometimes to one another, but also speaking encouraging words to one another and reminding ourselves of the promises of God. That is the gift of God's people. And like never before, we are living in an age in 2022 where people are like, well, I don't need that. I don't need the local church. I'm part of the big body of Christ. I'm good. I can just stay home, watch it on Zoom. And we're starving as if. We're like, you know, when we were growing up, we would see pictures of people in Africa that were malnourished and dying and your heart bled and you saw them on TV and wanted to write a check and send it or any dollars. And you'd look at your parents and go, can you please send them some money? Because you felt so bad. Feed them, feed them, feed them. That's us spiritually starving, malnourished. You go, but I have God's word. I'm reading on my own. But that's not the only plan God has given us. He's given us one another. The epistles are full of prompts for us to encourage one another, to be with one another, to pray for one another, to, to, to call one another out when there's sin in our life. That is the gift, part of what God has given us in order to continue to be faithful too. That's God's faithfulness to us. That's the men and women in this group. That's the friends you form at church. Those are the people that aren't just asking you every day, ah, how's the weather? How's your work? Good, great, fine, thanks, me too. Okay, bye. You know, Aren't you sick of those superficial relationships that leave you aching for more? The, the gift of Christian community must be valued and held dear. It is a gift. The quality of Christian community you surround yourself with will affect the outcome of your faith. The stronger your Christian community, the higher the standard of expectation, of 
being open to being exhorted and being humble enough to exhort the others. Most of the time we're like, I don't want to tell them anything. There has to be a willingness, a boldness, a humility to be done in love, to be done privately in a godly way, to be done prayerfully, but, but the willingness to exhort one another, to receive it and to give it out, that's quality Christian community. We're not in it to be in a social club. Where are their kids going to Sunday school? And what are they wearing to the parties and proms? And who did they ask out? And, and oh, did they memorize the word? We want deep community that leaves us changed. The responsibility of Christian community is to hold one another accountable for our sin. And the privilege of Christian community is to encourage one another to remain strong in faith. We want to do that to one another. I want people to do that for me. I'm here because people have done that for me and I've written about them and they're here in the community with us and they pray for me and they hold me up when I'm tired and I thank God for them. And even though sometimes it is uncomfortable to be in those relationships that press you. All right, last point, I'm gonna get into uh, 10 verses here in chapter four so we can wrap up and spend some time in prayer still. Number four, because he is ever faithful, he has promised a place of rest for his people. I'm going to come back and talk about rest. And then next week, we'll hit up some of chapter four as well. But let me read to you a bit about this place of rest, because I think all of us crave this rest. We are now, like never before, craving this rest. He says, therefore, so now we're seeing this again, that Jesus is greater than Moses. We need to rest in faith. And then he says, you know, all of the stuff that we've been talking about, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of us, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed entered that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now he's talking about the people in the Old Testament, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. This is from Genesis 2. And again in the passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterwards, and the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Remember, Joshua was a type of Christ in the Old Testament. And even he was taking them to the promised land. Even he was not able to give them the rest. They were not able to fully get into that. The generation died outside of the promised land. That was actually appropriate. Why? Because even Joshua could not get them in the promised land. Why? Because there was a symbol of true rest coming in the New Testament, spiritual rest that was only accomplished through Christ. So now he's saying, for if Joshua had given them rest, God wouldn't have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And so the concept again here is that we don't have to work to enter into God's rest. He has done all the work in Christ. All we have to do is what? Believe. Believe, believe, believe. That's it. The Christian life is about trust. It is about trusting God that he sent his son Jesus, it's about trusting Jesus who died for our sins. It's about trusting the resurrection. It's about taking God at his word. Let us therefore, and this is the last verse I'm going to end with here. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Yin and yang, strive for rest. You go, but rest doesn't strive, but there is a striving to enter rest. Okay, meditate on that this week. We'll hit up on it more next week. How do you strive to enter a rest? 
so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Perhaps you do it through obedience. Perhaps you do it through considering Jesus. Because he is ever faithful, he's promised us a place of rest in Christ Jesus. This place of rest is a privilege we have in Christ. It is a gift we've been given. It is the very place of God's presence, and it is a result of faith in God. The more you believe Jesus, his faithfulness, his character, the more you'll experience that rest in your everyday life. This is something you and I must strive for daily. That means we must build into our lives. Think about that this week. How can you, in your neck of the woods, whether you're in the Philippines or in England or in Mississippi or in Chicago, how are you going to strive to enter into that rest? Look, you're not earning the rest. You're not causing the rest. Christ has already paid the price for the rest. It's already done. The rest is there, but you got to enter it. And how do you enter it? Through faith. Where in your life do you see unbelief? Where, where in your life do you doubt the goodness of God? Where in your life are you exhausted? Maybe it's the deceitfulness of sin, reference to chapter 3, that is your struggle. You keep believing the lies of sin, that something outside of Christ is going to bring you joy. Listen, today, if you would just enter into his rest, but perhaps you're not finding it because of unbelief, or perhaps you haven't made it a goal in your life to strive to enter into that rest. This is like when Paul talks about working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You're not saving yourself, but you're examining yourself and you're questioning, God, am I, am I, where am I not believing you? Am I not trusting the faithfulness of God? And so what are you going to do today as a result of what we've heard? Are you confident because God is faithful? I'll tell you what, you can be tell you to you with all of my heart you can rest in peace because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross if you don't know him today's the day today if you hear his voice don't harden your heart run to him in faith and if you already know him run to him this Jesus who invited us to come unto him all us who are laboring and are heavy laden knowing that only he can give us the rest that we seek well I hope you enjoyed this teaching I love the book of Hebrews. I'm not joking. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. And I think you're going to love this series. I more than anything hope that it will build up your faith in God who never disappoints. He's always faithful, always true. Hey, don't forget to check out livingwithpower.org. Subscribe to the podcast if you're not on it already. Leave us a review if you haven't done it in a while. But more than anything, check out the new book. Don't tell anyone you're reading this. It is going to bless you and encourage you, but it's also going to help you find out a lot more about me. So uh, maybe more than you wanted to know. So go ahead and hit the drlinabook.com page. Uh, start reading it now. You can get the first couple of chapters free and come back next week. And now go be with God who is already with you. Love you guys. See you next week.